0: And uh, good afternoon, everyone. How are you all? Good to be in God's presence? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So, this afternoon, we are continuing with our series in the book of John. And uh, we're calling it simply Jesus. And uh, the first seven weeks, we're looking at the seven signs that John records in his gospel. And uh, So these signs are all about revealing who Jesus actually is, and they're kind of descriptive. They paint a picture of him and uh, illustrate to us his authority, his power, his compassion, all of these different aspects of, of Jesus' character, and they should spark faith in us. So this afternoon, I'm really in faith that as we unpack this second sign, faith will grow in our hearts, and we will be able to respond in faith at the end. Um, and uh, just a spoiler, but we're going to be praying for people who need healing. Okay, Aww. So that's where we're heading. But um, I'd, I'd love to pray, actually, to start off with. So, Jesus, we, we thank you so much for your presence. We thank you that we have been able to freely worship you today and yeah. exalt your name, declare how wonderful, beautiful, powerful your name is. We've been able to stand in your presence together and enjoy you. And so, God, as we now open your word, would you speak to us by your Holy Spirit? May our hearts be open to what you have to to say to us, and may you be glorified this afternoon. Amen. Okay, if you've got your Bibles with you, be good to turn to John chapter 4. And I'm going to read from verse 46 to the end of the chapter. So John chapter 4 and verse 46. It says, Therefore he, that's Jesus, came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. That should get a wow, surely. (laughs) As he was going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. Yes. (laughs) So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. I love chapter four of John's Gospel. Oh, what a chapter. I mean, basically, Jesus meets two people. That's the summary. The first person is the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus kind of just rips up the rule book as he shockingly ignores all the social taboos that there are. So as a Jewish man on his own, he speaks to a Samaritan. You don't do that because they're hated. It's a woman on her own at a well. You don't do that. Not if you've got any respect, anyway. And, not only that, she has some questionable morals with multiple sexual partners and currently engaging in sex outside of a marriage relationship, which is as wrong then as it is today. She is so shunned, in fact, that the other women won't be seen at the well with her. And so while they're enjoying the cool of their homes, she has to come out in the heat to draw water. And Jesus accepts her. Jesus sits down and has a chat with her. Jesus tells her the secrets of the kingdom and reveals truth to her. And then hot on the heels of that, Jesus' next interaction is equally surprising. A royal official. I mean, talk about scales of society. This royal official was probably employed by Herod Antipas, who was the ruler in that region, probably part of the the palace employees, maybe even part of the inner circle of Herod, we don't know. But he's at the top of the social order. He's probably not a Gentile, because otherwise John would have mentioned it. But he's certainly, well, he's kind of like royalty, part of the royal household. And so today we're going to unpack what this official did um, as we look at this story. And there are are four things, really, that I think are worth drawing attention to. So the first thing is that he heard. So in verse 47 it says, "When when he, the official, heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee. I'd like you to think back to this morning. See, I can do that now. We'd have had to go back to yesterday if we were still meeting in the mornings. So think back to this morning and who you've been in contact with. Could be any sort of contact, a conversation, phone call, message, whatever. Put your hand up if you were in contact with someone from outside of your household. Okay. What about outside of your town? Okay. What about outside of your country? Okay. Yeah. What about outside of your planet? (laughs) Okay. (sighs) Okay. Um, I mean, just this week in our household, we've been having loads of COVID news coming in from our family. Family in Oxfordshire, in Worcestershire, in Arkansas, in the US. Just instant, the messages pop through and you know about it. This week in my work, I've been in the same room as teachers from Wolverhampton and Winchester, from Peterborough and Poole, from Kings Lynn and Kidderminster, from Bristol, Banbury and Bude, all in the same room. We can know within hours about a volcanic eruption that creates a tsunami that decimates Tonga last weekend. We almost have live feed coverage of armies massing on the Ukraine-Russia border. Our world has shrunk in the last generation or so. News travels fast. We're connected to people at the press of a button or an internet search all over the world. And because of that, it's hard for us to appreciate what it means for this official in Capernaum, to hear that Jesus is back in Cana. Because his world wasn't as connected up as we are. It's almost a miracle that he hears about it at the same time, in fact. But the key thing is that he hears. The news gets to him. Even though it's difficult, the news gets through. And I think in our society, we face a similar but different problem or challenge, I suppose. Now, because we're so connected, because there's so much information, because the news cycle moves so fast, because our social media feeds just scroll and scroll and scroll, how do people actually hear about Jesus through that noise? When my notifications give the same status to the birth of a family member and a cat walking through a maze of cups and a feel-good video of a child falling from a swing and a political video talking about corruption and a reminder that I need to have my COVID booster and a promise of retirement idyllicness in my 40s and people singing tributes to meatloaf, and a dog that can do press-ups. How? How do I make sense of that? How do I prioritise it? How do I discern what's important? In the clamour for attention, in the overload, how do people hear that Jesus is back in town? How does word about Jesus break through that bombardment? Is he just another notification among many? Here, someone must have brought the news about Jesus. And we don't know who that was, but it got to the ears of the royal official. And he heard. So who is it that you know that needs to hear that Jesus is back in town? So he heard, but it wasn't just, oh yeah, interesting. He then did something about it. So he heard, it said, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went, in verse 47. The official's son was ill, very ill. It says he was at the point of death. He needed a miracle, and so he went to Jesus. When he heard, he went to him. He went to Jesus, If you need a miracle, there's only one place to go, and that is to Jesus. People try all sorts of other solutions. There's only one place that it's actually worth going, and that's to Jesus. I wonder if sometimes we just expect miracles to happen because they can happen, and that they will just kind of arrive at our convenience. Like so many other things in our Western instant culture. Click a button, there it is. Prayer, prayer, miracle happens. But miracles don't ever happen for our convenience. They happen for Jesus' glory. End of the passage that Rob preached on last week. John finishes this. This is the beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana, of Galilee and manifested his glory that's what the signs are about they're about Jesus glory I mean sometimes miracles do just happen so sometimes your party does run out of wine and it just so happens that the winemaker is on the guest list and he solves it before you even know about the problem sometimes it does just happen Next week, we'll see that Jesus goes to the person who needs the miracle and sorts it out. So sometimes miracles do just happen, but often that isn't the case. Often, action needs to take place on behalf of the person who needs the miracle. Think about the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years who had to push her way through the crowd and grab the hem of Jesus' garment. Or think about Naaman, the Syrian army commander, who was told to go and wash seven times in a foreign river. He liked that one. Or Zacchaeus, who had to climb a tree to get his miracle. Or the four friends who brought their paralysed friend, they had to dismantle a roof to get him to in front of Jesus. Often, the act of seeking a miracle is an act of faith that then releases the miracle. Now, we've got to tread carefully here. Because experiencing the miraculous is never, ever about our effort. It's never about us doing enough so that then we deserve it. It's never about, so you've ticked all the boxes and then God says... Okay, I'll do it. You've earned it. It's never about that. It's all about how God gets the most glory. And sometimes that requires our effort so that he is magnified even more. So verse 47, when he heard, he went to him. I love those four words, he went to him. I've got some maps here that I'd like to show you. So here's, if we go back to the uh, the, the previous one. So you can see there's a little red blob kind of in the middle. Um, that is uh, Cana. And just to the never each, uh, east of uh, Cana. What? Oh, doesn't <laughs> everyone do that? <laughs> you lot. <laughs> to the east of Cana is a blue blob, which is the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Galilee. So if we look at the next one, we then see at the top, we've got Capernaum, which is this fishing town on the north side of, uh, or the north shore of Lake Galilee. And then uh, this is the uh, Google Maps route uh, to to Cana. If you're walking, you can see it's about 20 miles. It's a a seven-and-a-half-hour walk. Not is it, I mean, Capernaum is about uh, 700 feet below sea level. And uh, Cana is, oh, you can see it there, it's about 1,000 feet above, but it isn't a straight line, it goes up and down a bit. So Google reckons 2,800 feet is how many feet he would climb going on that route from Capernaum to uh, Cana. I don't know whether that means anything to anyone, but let me try and bring it more local. If you're in the centre of Worcester, and you decide that you want to walk to the top of the Malvern Hills, to the Worcestershire Beacon... That's about 10 miles and about. Feet. So, this is double the distance and double the height. In the heat of the day, when your son is about to die, that's the kind of pressure that's on him. He went to Jesus. <laughs> that's what the Bible says. No, he trekked for 20 miles through the heat of the day uphill to get to Jesus, to fall at his feet and beg him that he would intervene. The royal official. He went to him. How far would you go to ask Jesus? Would you go 20 miles uphill through a hot day? I've been challenged by this this week. Oh, my word. My, my praying is so half-hearted. Oh, this, this thing, it feels big, so I'll pray for a day, maybe the next, maybe the day after that. Nothing happens, well, whatever. That's not trekking through the heat for 20 miles uphill. That's me being very comfortable and not really taking seriously the glory of Jesus. Not really taking him at his word and crying out in faith that he will do something. Maybe it's time for us to commit to go to Jesus. Simply Jesus. Only Jesus. That was all the official had in his mind. I've got to get to Jesus. So he heard and he went, and when he got there, he asked. Again, we're only in verse 47 still. Imploring him to come down and heal his son. His son was dying. He was absolutely desperate. And then we read Jesus' response. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you won't believe. <laughs> what? I've just trekked through the day. I'm absolutely shattered. A day's hike to get to you. I've had to take annual leave to do this. And you say, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. Jesus is addressing him, but he's talking to the crowd as well. It's a cool response at best to this guy whose son is nearly dead. But you see, Jesus is never interested solely in our actions. He's interested in our hearts. We learned that when we looked at David, didn't we, last year. That's why he may require you to climb a tree or wash seven times or walk 20 miles. It's never a test, though, of whether you've done enough now to earn it. It's a test of obedience. It's a test of our hearts. Is it really all about Jesus Is it really about the miracle maker or are you just seeking after the miracle? And so Jesus' initial response seems to rebuff him. Kind of, go on your way. I'm just putting you in this group of people who are looking for a sensational moment, a miracle that you can chat about over coffee, the latest fad, an Instagram moment. But the official comes back at him and says, Sir, come down before my child dies. I don't know whether you noticed, but there's no explicit plea there for healing. He doesn't ask for healing. He simply wants the presence of Jesus with his son. Come down before my child dies. And in that moment, Jesus sees his heart and he responds with, go, your son lives. So he heard, he went, he asked, and he believed. Verse 50, the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. He took Jesus at his word, and he believed and headed home. I mean, I I can't get my timings right with this, because it's basically a day's walk. And then he just heads home again. I mean, mean, does he stay overnight somewhere? Has he got friends in Cana? Does he know that there's some spare wine still going on at the party down the road, or, or what? I don't know. But he heads home. And it soon, very soon, his faith was verified, was rubber-stamped. He saw it in action. And this took place at the seventh hour. In my work, I do quite a lot of training events, and they usually take a day. And uh, so we get a group of teachers together and you know, do some sessions with them and so on. And um, probably in many other areas of life as well. That slot after lunch, kind of like when you preach in this new timetable for church. <laughs> It's called the graveyard slot. People, they've had their food, and they're just nodding off, wanting to be comfortable. Obviously, that never happens on my courses, because we're talking about maths, which just, you know. I mean, what can I say? Um, But the seventh hour is about one o'clock in the afternoon. Just after lunch, when the world is settling down in the cool to just kind of chill out for a bit. Then, when you least expect it, a miracle breaks out. Healing comes. And as soon as Jesus speaks, it's done. I love that. He meets these servants. I mean, the servants must have been so excited. He's heading back. Remember, 20 miles uphill. So he's now going 20 miles downhill. Um, but his slaves have gone, oh, hang on a minute. The fever, the sun's all right. We'd better... We'd better find our master, and off they go. I mean, wouldn't you just wait for him to come back home? I would. It's a long way. (laughs) But healing comes. As soon as Jesus speaks, it's done. A few years ago, um, Steve Wicking, who used to be an elder here at Jubilee, and I met to pray one evening, because there was a, a situation in the church where God needed to intervene. We needed God to intervene, I mean. Yeah, it's that way around, isn't it? We needed God to intervene. And um, he came to my house and we prayed. We prayed for the situation. And we prayed for a while. And then we kind of just did a bit of a a check of, "How, how are you feeling about this? And we went, no, we need to carry on praying. There's still work to be done. And so we prayed again. And we prayed a bit more. And then we paused and both of us just had this sense of, ah, it's done. It's done. Jesus has said, your prayers have been answered. We can stop praying. And in due course, the situation was indeed resolved and, um, and so on. But it was just at that moment when God speaks, it's done. And that was the kind of resonance in the, the official's heart. Jesus speaks to him, go, your son lives. And he goes. It's done. He's been imploring Jesus to act, but now he knows he can stop. And the son lives. I want to ask the question, what's the real miracle here in this story? Because last week, the miracle appeared to be the lavish provision of high-quality wine. But actually, there was much more to it. And if you want to know that was, you have to listen to Rob's talk from last week. Here, on the surface of it, it appears that the miracle is that the son of the official who's close to death is now not close to death and is probably playing football or something by the time he gets home. But that, I don't think, is the real miracle. Yes, the son was saved from dying. Yes, John keeps talking about life. That word keeps popping up, verses 50, 51, 53. It's about life instead of death. But I'm sure that as the angels are watching, as Jesus unfolds his second sign, something greater than healing takes place here. Because in verse 53 we read, So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. Wow. The official went seeking physical healing and received that and so much more. He went hoping for a quick fix, maybe a bit of magic from this wonder worker. But instead sees faith birthed in his heart. He went as someone employed in a royal palace (laughs) and returned as a member of the royal family of God. He walked 20 miles so his son wouldn't die and in fact his whole family walked into new life. He discovered true salvation, true wholeness. This sign points to Jesus gives us an insight into who Jesus is. And in fact, everything that we read in the Gospel of John must be read through the first verse of John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything we read after that is God in action. So when we read this story of the nobleman's son, of course he would be healed. And of course there would be so much more because this is God in action. You see, there's no degrees of difficulty when you're omnipotent. There's no such thing as a hard miracle. No barriers can stand in the way. No obstacle is insurmountable in the face of Jesus. No barriers related to society's norms. You see, when you're the Lord of the nations... There's no human-created divisions that mean anything. No ethnic barriers. No community barriers. Which is why he can hang out with a Samaritan woman and then hang out with a royal official in the same chapter. When you, as the sovereign king of heaven, as the son of the Most High, is prepared to not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead to empty yourself and become nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance like a man and becoming a humbled and obedient to death, even death on a cross, there's no social barrier that can get in the way because <laughs> you've demolished everything on your way down. Jesus cuts through any ethnic, class, social barriers and he heals this royal official's son but there are no barriers related to time either. When you hold eternity in your hands, there's no clock watching or requirement to wait. When you're the Alpha and the Omega, for whom one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, the fact that it's the seventh hour and you're 20 miles away means nothing. There's no barriers related to time. He heals in an instant. No barriers related to geography either. You see, there's no limitation of space or distance when you're the one who flung the stars into space, when you're the one who created the heavens as the work of your fingers, when you're the one who's measured the, ho- the waters of the earth in the hollow of your hand and marked off the heavens by a span. When you, in the words of Colossians chapter 1, Jesus, by you all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's before all things. In him all things hold together. There's no geographical or locational barrier that can prevent your actions taking place. Distance doesn't matter. Proximity presents no problem. So from 20 miles away, 2,000 feet higher, he can heal a person he's never met. There's no barriers related to physical infirmity either. The boy was at the point of death, urgent enough for his father to hurry 20 miles The fever was about to take him. As the father left on his day's journey, he probably never expected to see his son alive again. But what's that to Jehovah Rapha? He says, I, the Lord, am your healer. What is sickness to the one who declares that he will pardon all our iniquities and heal all our diseases? There's no physical or bodily barrier in the way of Jesus acting. No barriers. And that's why we celebrate Jesus. <laughs> because whatever our background, whatever our circumstances, whatever time of day or night you cry out to him, however, wherever you live, however far you need to travel, Whatever sickness, illness, anxiety, depression, mental health condition, whatever complaint you have, serious or not serious, Jesus is for you. What a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus. What a powerful name is the name of Jesus. That's what we've been singing this morning. Afternoon, nearly got to the end. (laughs) I was singing it this morning. This Jesus is awesome. He really is awesome. And he is for us. And he is here to heal. And so there are some of you who need to ask. You've heard, you've heard he's in town. You've heard that he does this. This was the hearing this afternoon, this story. And so some of you now need to come to him and ask. And so I would love us to stand and I would love us to pray. Now, yes, so let's stand. And it's going to be a very simple response, okay? But as a, as a sign, I mean, he trekked 20 miles. I'm not going to ask you to do that. I'm just going to ask you to come to the front. If you know that God is putting his finger on something and you need to ask him, then I'd love you just to come to the front. And we will get some people to stand and pray with you. But I believe that there is um, breakthrough for people this afternoon. I believe that there is healing for people this afternoon. This is a, an all-powerful, all-loving Saviour who we serve. So uh, I'm going to pray for us, and do just come forward if you want to. There's plenty of space here, and uh, we will uh, gather around you and ask God with you. So let's pray. Yeah, yeah just uh, settle your hearts now before God. You know what he's been speaking to you about. You know what he's been highlighting. So allow him to speak by his Holy Spirit. Father, we're we're astounded by these stories. When we stop and read slowly, we're amazed at the way you acted, at the the vastness of your love, at the way in which you drew people to yourself, the way you invaded their hearts and changed situations. And God, as a people, we want to be a people who are open to you. And so we're here now, Father, asking you to act. Lord, as as these uh, people come forward, asking for a miracle, asking for an intervention, asking for you to knock down barriers that are in the way, asking for breakthrough, asking for significant things to happen, whether for them or for others, as they carry that now to you, would you invade, Lord? As they ask you to intervene, would you say, be able to say to them,